Welcome to episode 7 of Your Hearth at Home. My name is Tara and I am so grateful that you are here. Today I am very excited to be speaking with Angela Prider, also known as Little Bird, of West Coast Shamanic. She is a spiritual teacher, initiated spiritual healer, and shamanic and somatic practitioner based in Port Moody, British Columbia, even though I say Vancouver twice in the episode. (laughs) Angela shares with us her path today, how she was very connected to spirit from a young age, moved through addiction as a young adult, and found her way through work with shamanism, somatic healing, kundalini yoga, and sacred plant teachers. She really dives into the COVID-19 situation as it currently stands and shares amazing teachings and resources about how to move through an initiatory experience, such as a global pandemic and this great pause, with ease. She talks about harvesting the gems of the learnings so that one may move into integration, only going back to the practices that you want to, leaving behind that which doesn't truly serve. And this difference between digestion and integration was truly a profound distinction for me. I am so grateful to be able to provide a platform for Angela's teachings in this space. I hope that you enjoy. Welcome back to Your Hearth at Home. I am so grateful you are here, and I am so grateful to have Angela Prider joining me today, uh, also known as Little Bird of West Coast Shamanic. She's a spiritual teacher based in Vancouver. Thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure to be here, Tara. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, my. Yes, I'm so excited to speak with you. And um, I would love to just start with... Uh, a bit of context. Um, so at, as of now, you're living in Vancouver, spiritual teaching. Um, what kind of is your journey? Can you share a little bit more about the context, how you came to where you are now? Sure. Um, I try to do it in a little nutshell. <laughs> um, but I grew up in Australia and um, around about... Uh, when I was about 23 anyways, when my spiritual journey kind of began. Um, I had a healing crisis then and uh, my way of kind of coping with that was through um, substances and I came away to Canada traveling and hit my bottom um, with alcohol when um, probably about a few years later, I was in my late twenties and, um, you know, I was going to therapy and, um, you know, doing the best I can. And then I, in that process, I actually wasn't sober yet, but I had a spiritual experience when I was in a therapy group. Um, we were doing sort of guided meditation Um, led by the therapist and um, she led everybody down this path and I don't know where they went but I ended up in this um, place that I I now understand to be a place of my ancestors where um, they placed me in a fire and I got burned down to nothing and then I came out and they painted me with all of this stuff and 
Many years later, I came to understand that that's what's known as a shamanic dismemberment experience. And I didn't know anything about shamanism at all. I wasn't sober. I was just a mess. But I did, a few weeks later, when I got over my embarrassment of that, I spoke to um, the therapist about it. And she said, I want you to take note of that. That was a visitation from your ancestors. And you need to really listen to them. <clears throat> so I found that I could very easily close my eyes and um, what I now know as shamanic journeying. Um, and I now know it as spirit flight. And this is something that I had been doing my whole life. I was a deeply spiritual child, um, even though I was a bit of a badass. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, I, would, I had altars in my room when I was like, 10 and 12, right? Like, um, I was deeply connected, but uh, I was also, grew up Catholic and it, it did kind of, it messed me up quite a bit, right? And it doesn't happen to everybody, but it did for me. So mm -hmm. I got sober and I was very, very broken hearted about my relationship with the church and my relationship with God or whatever you want to call it. I felt very, very isolated. I felt very alone. And then one of my friends, um, I hadn't been in Canada very long, but she took me to the sweat lodge and I had no idea what that was about at all. Um, and when they took me into the sweat lodge here with um, the Squamish nation, um, you know, the first nations people just loved me up. They could just see that I was broken and there was no judgment about my brokenness. And there was no, you know, um, there was there was no judgment. There was humor there. There was generosity there. There was warmth there. Um, so I just kept going back to the sweat lodge, and you know, I stayed sober. And you know, I mean, I was just trying to get through one day at a time. Really, I mean, life was, you know, I had ended a long very in-depth relationship and I was living on my own and you know it it was a very 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 bad situation um but um you know I got on my feet and I got going and I went back to Australia and I was sort of settling down back in Australia and I still really felt quite lost and so I went into a church one day as um, I don't know you know that's what that's what I did and I had a very clear connection. I've always had a clear connection with spirit and um, spirit just said to me, you need to go back to Canada and you need to find the path of shamanism. And I had no idea really what that was. And it was a very, very strong pull. And, um, and spirit said to me, you're not going to find your path if you stay here in Australia and you have to go. So I came back here and um, I went back to the sweat lodge and I started to have this feeling that I wasn't comfortable as a settler. Um, even though I was welcome there, I just felt like I was learning more and they were teaching more, but I didn't feel comfortable. I just couldn't come to peace um, with that. So I did a little research and and then I found, um, oh, and then a friend of mine said to me, oh, like, you know, but 
there's this person coming to town and she's supposed to be like a healer and a spiritual teacher. And like, do you want to come? And my question in those days was always like, how much? Cause I had no money. <laughs> and uh, so that's when I went um, to a circle and I met Donna Bernadette uh, Vigil and she had apprenticed with Don Miguel Ruiz for about, for well, 10, 15 years. And I don't even know if the four agreements was in print then. Um, but I went and I met Donna Bernadette and I like just such an incredibly powerful healer and loving, again, non-judgmental, very, very humble woman. And she started this little group with us of the path of the Nahual and she would come back here into town. And we, we worked together and then she would come back into town and work with us more and I was with her in that group for over two years and we were basically just cleaning our past. Mm. And that was a lot of work. And, um, and then after that, uh, again, I had this feeling of like, you know, um, this, is, I, this is from another country and I don't know if this feels right for me. And so I ended up going and taking a basics in shamanism with a foundation of shamanic studies because, you know, core shamanism is, um, doesn't have any cultural overlay. They're, they work with the universal and near universal principles of um, shamanism. Um, and that just felt right to me. I didn't feel like I was necessarily appropriating anything. And um, I, by this time I'd gone back to school and I was a counselor and I was working with youth and, um, you know, fast forward, you know, probably, uh, you know, I just had my own practice. I was in women's circles, um, for many, many years and, um, you know, just doing my own healing work. And so I, I started to have a little tiny home practice and I started to feel like, I think that this shamanic thing can help people. I was doing counseling and um, I've, you know, I had been practicing shamanic journeying and reconnecting with spirit and doing my own healing work at that point for probably about eight years, you know? And so I, um, I found my next teacher, Lorene Rama in Edmonton, and I had a full week immersion with her learning, you know, soul retrieval and energy clearing. And there was only two students in that training, you know. So we were in deep, like it was life changing for me. And then after that, I just started to incorporate a little bit of that into, you know, my counseling practice. Um, and then sort of fast forward about another five years or so. And I had my daughter and you know i was like 10 years sober at that point and um and then i just got a very clear message from spirit of like okay now you need to share this on more than just doing one-on-one -on -one work um and i think my daughter was about three months old and i'm like oh my god you know <laughs> all right um but so i started to just hold these little sort of monthly circles for people um, and from the moment that I started to offer it, I, I have, I've never ever been in a position where I haven't had enough work. In fact, I've had to really set boundaries with spirit, 
um, because, um, you know, in those days, the challenges that I had to face was I couldn't really use, I couldn't really say shamanism, it freaked people out. It wasn't a hip, cool thing. It was weird. Um, and even now, I mean, we're sort of stepping away from the word shamanism for, you know, you know, in, out of respect for the, the, Tung the Tungus tribe in Siberia, where that word comes from. Mm. Um, and so about six years later, I had another um, sort of big um, cataclysmic change. And my ancestors um, from Ireland started to come to me in my dreams. And I had no idea what that was about or what was going on. And it really rocked my world. I guess these are like initiatory experiences, right? And um, I ended up going to Ireland and um, connecting with a mentor of mine there and getting this very clear message that you need to start to like reanimate the old ways before colonization happened there. You need to bring this to all of the people, you know, who are living, you know, as settlers on other lands because so many of us have our roots in the Western Isles, you know. And I had like no idea what I was doing and it was a huge thing. But I did, I did um, some deep research um, with actually some some academic, like professors of Celtic studies. And so I spent some time one woman was in Scotland and one woman was in Eastern United States. And I spent some time um, just kind of verifying my journey with them. And they give, gave me really good resources to sort of research so that what was happening for me in my download was being verified by these people who had experience with the history, like verified history. Because mm. I just didn't want to be a new age Celtic person that you know because you can't get a clean trans transmission otherwise you know um and i i know that we don't have a living lineage but at the same time that that happened all these things happened at the same time 2012 was a big year and it <laughs> is a big year when you look at numerology and prophecy and all sorts of things so i had this you know i'd spent three years in sort of exploring <clears throat> um you know, my ancestral roots in, in Ireland and I traveled over there and immersed in the land. And, uh, and then I went and met uh, my teacher from Peru, Don Martin and Donna Bernardina. And, um, you know, I was at a training with them and um, we are, we're actually having lunch one day and I was telling, you know, him through the translator about, you know, the cosmovision of Ireland and how similar it is to the cosmovision of Peru. And he understood though that, oh, you, but you don't have a living lineage. And I said, no, like, we don't have living lineage anymore. So he said to me, oh, well, you have the cosmovision, but you don't know how to work with it. So I'll teach you. So now, you know, this path that I've been walking is this, um, the cosmovision that is, you know, from the Western Isles and ancient Ireland mostly, but with the, um, the energy medicine practices and the ways of working with that medicine lineage um, from the living lineages of, of the Andes. Mm. Um, and 
And around about the same time too, I, you know, I uh, had the experience to begin to work with the plant spirit medicines, um, the plant teachers, you know, ayahuasca and wachimita and um, really learning on a deeper level, um, you know, about this, this path, which I call a path of initiation and how that path of initiation can, um, is really just a reflection that teaches us how to be a skilled human being um, because life is going to present us with initiation all the time, right? So <clears throat> that's uh, now here we, here we are in 2020 and, you know, and uh, I, just, I just do my thing, you know, and do my best, you know. Well, and I, I so appreciate what you share because... I mean, one can definitely see the depth of your experience when um, you're sharing it. Like, for example, on social media, when I get to um, take in your content and these, these things like initiation and, and these other concepts, they do ring true for someone who certainly doesn't have the experience that you have, but they're present in daily life. And especially with everything that's going on currently with the global pandemic and, and all that humanity as a whole is facing right now, this upheaval, um, it's certainly helpful to have this um, feedback about initiation from someone who has done so much work in it. Mm. Um, perhaps could you speak a little bit more to that in terms of your experience yeah with sure. that process yeah and <clears throat> what i really like to do tara is i really like to like um weave in these the other you know path that i've been on is you know i was trained as a um somatic therapist mm. you know about 13 years ago and i started to really see how you know trauma um you know, I've been working with um, somatic healing and shamanic healing together for people who are, in, you know, recovering from trauma. So there are some things to think about, <clears throat> excuse me, when we go into talking about initiation is, you know, initiation is really just um, the regular life cycle amped up right and it's rather than it being you know we live this life and then we die and then we're reborn it's like that cycle of <clears throat> life death and rebirth is shoved in our face you know it's right in our face and when you have initiation what initiation does is it changes you because you're shedding a skin hopefully and it's time for growth and you know, developmental crisis is initiation, you know? And so <clears throat> in many of the animistic cultures, you know, which is pretty much all of our ancestors, you know, rites of passage are really initiation because when you're going through something that is trying and challenging so that you can grow and be prepared for the next stage of life 
that's what it is, right? But when you go into initiation, it um, <clears throat> it's very um, it's it's very shocking if you're not used to it. You know, like I've taken been taking people out on the land now for about I don't know twelve or thirteen years. You know, the First Nations people would call this vision quest, right? But I've taken people out on the land probably over 10 days where over 10, over 10 times, you know, and they get to sit alone in isolation on the land, no tent, no fire, fasting, you know, for two nights. And then we come out and then we spend a night together alone. Excuse me, got a frog in my throat. <clears> throat> and when you do something like that, what you're saying to the universe and to spirit is I am going to sacrifice something in order to receive wisdom. And really what you're doing is you're putting your ego on the line is what you're doing. Right. Mm. So when, um, it, and this is very similar, you know, in the plant plant medicine ceremonies, you know, with plants like, you know, ayahuasca, San Pedro, peyote, any of these master teacher plants, you know, psilocybin. Um, that is like, it's like a little mini initiation, right? So um, the goal is that you, you know, your ego kind of gets, has an ego death. And when you have an ego death, there are things that happen. The first things that happen, first thing that happens is a sense of groundlessness, right? Mm -hmm. So it feels like the ground that you've been standing on has just been pulled out from underneath you. And we talk about this in our culture. We say, yeah, I just felt like the rug got pulled out of me. I went into work. I've been in the same job for like eight years and they called me in and they laid me off. That is, that's a, it's a huge shock, right? So this first sense is, you know, groundlessness. And then there's this loss of identity. You think you know who you are, but you don't really know who you are. Because our ego, when we have an ego death, what is our ego connected to? Our ego is connected to roles. Our ego is connected to prestige. Our ego is connected to attaching. Ego loves to attach, right? I always, my little... Um, <clears throat> acronym for ego is endlessly grabbing onto ego it's just yeah. it's grabbing just you know grasping grabbing just holding on to anything that it can because it doesn't want to like lose the identity it doesn't want to lose the prestige it doesn't want to lose the predictability of life it doesn't want to lose the feeling that it's in control you know and the illusion that it's in control. So when you go into that, you know, initiation and there's groundlessness and then the ego goes, then the illusions go. And it's beautiful because when the illusions of who we think we are go, then we really get to discover not necessarily who we are, but what we are. So um, then we, then once we discover what we are, um, it can also be scary though, because we can, we can feel this sense of isolation. There's this feeling of like, Oh, holy shit. Like I'm on my own here. Like mm -hmm. I'm not, 
Like there people, people have these thoughts like, wow, I had better get really serious about my life. Like all this money I've made, I'm not taking it with me or I'm not going to take that fancy car or this cool title of my job. You know, none of those things. And people start to really think about what am I doing with my life? Why am I here? So then we get into the, the whole piece of like, um, you know, the existential angst, right, is basically what, what comes up. Um, and so that's really what the initiation is. It's like the, the ground gets pulled out from you, your ego and your identity and your roles fall away. You, you have a moment there, it might just be a nanosecond of understanding that you're, you're connected to everything and that you're not alone and that there's a purpose to your life and that, you know, it's not just about who you are, it's about what you are. And then you might gather a little bit of wisdom and then um, you have to somehow apply it to your life. And at this moment in time, you know, when it comes to initiation, we're on the edge of integration. Mm. And when I was taught about ceremony, <clears throat> especially the plant medicine ceremonies, it's 20% ceremony, 80% integration. Mm. And this is where our culture falls apart because we're a consumerist culture. So we just consume. So, you know, people, you know, we have a big spiritual consumerist market, you know, people to go to all these little workshops and this and that and every other thing because they want to feel better, but it doesn't mean that they're necessarily integrating what they're learning into their daily life. Because when you start to integrate the reality of integration is you have to let things go. There's no other way to make space for the new unless you let things go. So it's a very, very, <clears throat> where we're at with this COVID experience, we're at the edge of integration because what we're talking about now is, oh yeah, you know, the economy's gonna open back up and we're all gonna go back to normal. And now we're being told that there's this a new normal. Well, we all need to understand that we get to create our own normal, mm. right? And what have we learned? For those of us, you know, some people, it hasn't been that kind of experience. Some people, they're just trying to get by. This has been a massive crisis for them. But people are learning a lot of things. You know, I, I've filled up my tank of gas once in the last three months, right? I don't need to go and get a takeout coffee every day or whatever. So people are spending less money. Life has become simpler. People are being reconnected with their families. So now go back to normal. Like, do you really want to? Or are you going to integrate what you've learned here? You know? So we are right on the cusp at the moment. And a lot of people are on the cusp about whether they want to stay conscious and apply what they've learned into their lives. And that might mean letting some things go. Are they courageous enough to do that? Are we courageous enough to do that? Mm. Or are we just going to go try and go back to the way things were? Because the structure that we've set up is such that 
you know, we're, we're attached to it, right? Mm. That reminds me of a, a quote by Richard Wagamese. He said um, something to the effect of, do you really want to bounce back? Mm -hmm. um, or do you want to bounce beyond? Yeah. And that, yeah, that really rings true as you say that. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, I think the piece though that is really important to remember um, is that everybody's experience of initiation is different because everybody has a different level of resilience. And that is connected to our nervous system and how well regulated we are and whether we have some sort of spiritual practice in place that's gonna support us through initiatory experiences. So all these things blend together, right? It's like, what's the state of your nervous system? What's the level of your resilience? And how much experience have you had with initiation? How conscious are you of that? And what spiritual practices are supporting you so that your soul can lead you through an initiation rather than your ego, you know? Please pardon the interruption in this wonderful podcast episode. I'd like to take a moment to share with you the opportunity to be in community and supported in your at-home practice of self-love. I invite you to join the Sacred Circle Collective. This is a group of like-hearted people who gather at each quarter moon to complete a practice, whether that be meditation, movement, breath work, or any of the other fun stuff that we get up to in the space. This collective is about setting aside one hour each week to invest in yourself. If you are listening to this podcast episode, then I believe that you are conscious, curious, and open to practicing self-love. Click the link in the show notes for further information and to claim your first month free. That's all replays, four live practices, and the chance to be in this community at no charge with no obligation. I am so grateful and excited to share this space with you, and I can't wait to see you in there. And now, back to the podcast. On that vein, I mean, I feel as though a lot of people are reaching to tools at this time, um, things like meditation um, and other practices to support them. For those who have trouble reaching for things or, or are not sure where to start, perhaps those with um, particularly analytical minds that have trouble grasping the idea of a spiritual practice. What, what, if anything, would you recommend for, for those folks trying to navigate this experience? Yeah, I mean, th this is a really, really good question. I think that, I think that this idea of spiritual practice has been relegated to, um, the same way that physical exercise has been relegated to the gym, mm. spiritual practice has been relegated to places like, you know, meditation circles or 
you know, yoga classes or not even yoga class. Yoga classes is on the edge of gym, the gym now sometimes, depending. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's kind of been relegated to this place. But when you think about it, physical exercise or physical activity, uh, you know, you do not need to be at a gym. You can, you can just go outside and go walking every day, you know, or running. You can go hiking. You can go, you can do some gardening, you know, you can turn on some music and dance for half an hour, right? You, you don't have to go and lift weights. You might have like, you know, some big heavy rocks in your garden, like seriously, you know, um, you can be active every day, all the time and not necessarily call it exercise. And so I think with spiritual practice, um, you know, a lot of what I teach and the way that I approach um, spirituality is um, where can you find it in your daily life? Because your spirit is with you. You are your spirit. It's just saying, in what kind of condition is your spirit? It's like, how's your physical health? Well, yeah, I probably need to get back to the gym. Okay, how's your spiritual health? Mm. And people start to wonder, well, what is my spirit? And for me, my spiritual health is my sense of vitality. And I've started to use this term spiritual resilience. How spiritually resilient are you? And spiritual resilience for me is you know, one of the reasons why I feel relatively spiritually resilient is because I have these wisdom teachings that my teachers have passed on to me. And so for somebody who perhaps practices meditation, they have you know, those teachings that are about meditation that tell them, yeah, you know, this is if you can steady your mind during these times, or if it's yoga, you know, there are these teachings that accompany it. And so um, sometimes for some people, though, their spirituality can be more about just being in nature. Because to me personally, you know, we talk about God as being G-O-D, the great outdoors, right? Mm. And um, for me, nature is our biggest teacher because nature is regulated and knows how to right itself and knows how to go through big things and heal. And um, we have so much to learn from that. And so a person's spiritual practice can be very, very, very simple. Their spiritual practice might be, you know, these are the warmer months that I'm going to have my morning coffee sitting outside on my porch or on my balcony in my apartment and I'm just going to sit outside and I'm not going to be on my phone. I'm just going to sit outside and I'm going to watch and I'm just going to listen and then give myself these 10 minutes. That's tending to your spirit. And while you're there, you might learn something. You might have a moment of like just watching a tree and notice that, you know, a gust of wind comes and how the tree just lets the, the wind move through it. And then your spirit naturally might say, yeah, I need to learn to just let life blow through me, not get all messed up. That is a spiritual practice, you know? So it can be something that's very, very simple. 
Um, so learning from nature is a beautiful spiritual practice. Um, another spiritual practice, I, I, you know, during times that are very, very difficult, I always recommend that people find some means of being of service because when you're being of service, your ego is not, you know, running the show, you know, and having a sense of purpose and usefulness is really, really good for our spirit. So it can be something really small. It can, it can just be reframing something that, oh my God, I've got to walk the dog again. That's my thing. <laughs> <laughs> I stop sometimes and I say, well, hang on here for a second. Like, you know, I'm going to go on this walk and I'm going to be in service to her, mm. to my doggy. I'm just going to be in service to her because she's just gives me so much love all day long. It's like, of course I, I need to do this, you know, and I've never regretted once walking my dog because I always come back feeling better. Right. So there are very simple things that we can do, you know, sometimes, you know, an active service, just like, you know, giving your sweetie a foot rub or, you know, taking your kid on a little treasure hunt. Like these are all things that are really good for our spirit. Mm. You know, um, at, at nighttime, rather than, you know, being on our phone <laughs> and watching YouTube or whatever we're scrolling, what would it be like to just step outside into the night and take your shoes off and stand on the grass or just step outside and take your shoes off and stand on your balcony in the dark, in the quiet, what would that, what would that be like? And just to take a few breaths. Like, these are very, very simple things that our spirit, um, you know, can come alive with. And the final path that I love to talk about for spiritual resilience is creativity. You know, Creativity is one of those things in our culture that's been relegated to a certain place. You know, mm. you can only sing if you're a good singer. You can only paint if you're a good painter. You can only play music if you're a musician. Like, and it's just a bunch of crap. Like, our nature as human beings is that we are creators. And it's our spirit that's creative. It's a creative spirit. So... Um, we get so caught up in the product that we miss the process. Mm. And so this is why I think so many women have been baking is because it's a creative process. You're creating and you're at the hearth and it's an ancient practice, you know, and that is what, I haven't been baking at all because I'm not really, but, <laughs> but I've been doing lots and lots of other creative projects. So, you know, just singing, like it doesn't matter what you sound like, you know, you just sing or to put on some music and dance, you know, um, go out into your garden and make a little like rock mandala. Like it really doesn't matter. It's finding those moments of what I call flow like we go into what might be a sort of a shamanic state of consciousness almost where there's, you know, selflessness and timelessness and endlessness and richness in this little moment that's all ours. And that's what nourishes our spirit. 
Oh, that, that rings so true in my heart. Um, like on, on my journey, what started, what really, really sparked my healing was when I started to make my soaps and candles because it was this, this creativity, like, Ooh, what color? Ooh, what? And, and it, and soaping is like baking, right? It's just, you don't eat the product, but it's, it's exactly that. And, and I haven't, and I never thought of myself as a creative because I couldn't draw, I couldn't paint, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't, 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 couldn't. And it is medicine. It's, it's, yeah, it doesn't really matter what it is that you're creating. It's the mm. act of creating that's the key. And I know I've watched your little videos of you making your soaps and they look good enough to eat. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people mistake them for putting other foods. Yes. <laughs> So, yeah, so the creative process is, is the key because it's, um, it's also a reflection of the life cycle, right? You come up with an idea, which is like you birth an idea and then, then you know, you, you, you get the spark of inspiration. And as I always like to say, the spark of inspiration lights the fire of passion in the heart. Mm. And then you make, you make this thing and then you look at it. And you're like, wow. And unfortunately, we have all these ideas in our um, mind about, you know, how things are supposed to look. And that's just the ego. Mm. right? Because when you create, nothing turns out the way that you first envisioned it. So when you get into that creative process, you have to let go Mm. of the outcome. And that's a teaching about life. You have to let go of the outcome. So it's a good thing. Yeah. Mm. Letting go of expectations and outcomes. Oh my gosh. So powerful. Yeah. So these three items, so so being in nature, being of service and and sparking that creativity, these, these items of spiritual resilience, would you suggest that these are good practices in the process of integration as well? Totally. Mm. Yeah, so integration, let me talk about integration. And integration has been a a sort of a, um, what's the word? Give me a moment here. Integration has been something (laughs) that I have been, seriously sharing about for a long time now. Mm. I remember I first kind of really got serious about it in, I don't know, I, 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 I spoke about it at the Spirit Plant Medicine Conference a long time ago. And this whole idea of like, you know, you don't, you don't, don't go out and, um, okay, first let me clarify something. Mm. What I've learned over time is, you know, <clears throat> my teacher, Don Martin, always talks about digesting. So he says, you know, you look at something, you want to eat it, you eat it, then you have to digest it. And this is how life works. I mean, we are in an eating reality. As human beings, everything here needs to eat to stay alive, right? So, you know, we, th- we always think about eating as being something that we do with food, but 
every time, you know, we're consuming social media, we're consuming, we're eating. Everything that we listen to, everything that we look at, we are taking all of that into us. And we are not a culture that digests because we just keep consuming. And I believe this is why we have an epidemic of digestive problems in our culture. Mm. Is because we have not learned about digestion and how to digest. Um, we don't know how to digest peak experiences or initiatory experiences. Um, and so the digesting part for me is a very important time. And as we begin to move out into the world or when the economy is coming back online or we're going back to normal or whatever the shit is, <laughs> I think it's very important that people just stop and take a few days for themselves to digest what has occurred for them on their personal journey in the last few months. And that is the place of reflection. So in the medicine spiral that I work with, digestion is in the West mm. because it's the water in our systems that helps us to digest the solid. When you think about panning for gold, it's the water that you put into the pan that separates the gold from the dirt, right? So digestion is a very important time. And when we look to the animal world, what do they do after a big meal? They rest. So what we're in right now is the digestion phase. When something big happens in our lives, like we've gone into surgery, we have a period of time where we're just in the recovery room. Unfortunately, it happens too quickly in our culture, but we need time to digest. You know, after I had my, my baby, you know, um, our family spent three weeks in bed because we were just digesting before we went back out into the world or anything like that. So right now, what I would say is we, everybody needs to do some digesting. So that looks like journaling is a very powerful way to digest. And when we journal, I always suggest that you journal by hand. Don't do it on the computer because as one of my teachers says, when you're looking down in the direction of your heart, that's what you're going to engage when you're writing, you know? I love that. <laughs> so um, journaling, and you can just journal, and even more powerful for journaling, what I like to do at times of deep digestion is I do non-dominant handwriting. So I'm just writing with my non-dominant hand, and I'm just letting anything come out, come out right? Because you're, then your ego is out of the way, right? And, you know, you may not be able to read it or whatever, but so journaling is a very powerful digestive process. It could also be good to go on a little juice fast for a couple of days and just give yourself a rest. Um, it would be also what I could highly recommend is just taking um, a fast, a media fast, so no media, no news, no TV, you know, like a complete fast off your phone, just the whole thing, just get off it for three days is a good period of time. 
or two days. Um, so yeah, a juice fast, a media fast, um, plenty of journaling. Um, you can also do things like set, set up a sacred space in your room and just, um, you know, go, a, a, you know, my dear friend Elise, right, just went on a silent retreat. So you can do this in your own home. Just get off the media, set up a sacred space for yourself and just write, write for two days about, let it all out, speak your truth, be completely honest with yourself, right? And that's the digestion phase. And this is what I learned, you know, very much in, in all the ceremonies that I've sat in, but particularly with the plant medicine ceremonies is, you know, we sort of have this thing, you know, where people go off to Peru or whatever, and, you know, um, they go to a retreat and they'll do a bunch of plant medicine ceremonies and then come back and three days later, they're into work. There's no digestion. You need to have, you know, even when I went to Burning Man last year, you know, I had a three day journey home and I stopped in some very, very quiet places because I needed to digest that experience. And you know, we, we could call it decompress. Um, but I like to say digest because I think it's mindful about what am I learning? What am I reflecting on? And then once you've had that digesting period, then you move into integration. Mm. Right? So, um, you know, integration then is taking what you've learned from digestion and applying it into your life. Mm. So you may have learned in this period of time, and I've spoken to many people, in particular women, um, but I'm sure many men, many people are feeling it, um, that we're doing this thing of like, why was I living at that pace? What, what was I trying to prove running around from here to there and doing this and that? And, you know, what I've discovered for myself is, you know, I've... I've barely left my house. I think I've been out since mid-March. I mean, I did fracture my foot, so I couldn't really go far. But I think I've been out about five times. And I'm so happy, you know. So then once you've had this digestion about, okay, well, what's really worked here during this period of time? What hasn't worked? What have I learned about myself? people might start to go, wow, I was just like pushing myself like crazy. Why? Because I don't have very good boundaries. Mm. Okay. So when I go back into my life, how am I going to integrate having healthy boundaries, you know, with other people, but also with myself? How am I going to move back into my life and have a really true yes and no, so that I'm not betraying myself and abandoning myself all the time, you know? So the integration phase is the hardest and that's why it's 80% of the work because you're probably going to piss people off. You're going to say no and people don't, you know, people, that means if you change, they've got to change and then that can be really, really hard. So the integration place is a hard, you know, it takes a lot of commitment and it takes a lot of um, 
it takes a deep devotion to your sovereignty in order to really be in true integration. You know, it's saying, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to um, eat these foods that are not good for my body. I've made a commitment to be much more loving to my body. And therefore I'm going to make a stand for my own sovereignty and my own self-love. So the integration phase requires the digestion phase and it, it, it can take time and it, can, it takes a great commitment to stay on track and not get distracted as well. Mm. Any tips for communi effective communication with those around us as we integrate, as we implement boundaries and, and, and essentially rewrite the expectations uh, that we have previously given others to base uh, what we do on? Yeah, totally. Um, well, I think something that some people maybe have discovered during this period that we're calling the great pause, and I'll just touch in this about, about you know, my somatic work and your nervous system, is I think what's happened for a lot of people who've been on continual sympathetic arousal, like your sympathetic nervous system is the part that's the fight or flight. And in our culture, we have this chronic go, 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 go. So people live in this chronic stress. And so now what's happening is quite a few people during this great pause have gone through what we call a collapse, which is basically where that sympathetic arousal, you finally take your foot off the accelerator and the car just has to die for a while um, because it's burned out. Mm. And then, then people do that examination in their digestion of like, what the heck, man, I'm burned out. I got to take care of my adrenals or whatever. And, and now I need to make some decisions so that I do not end up in that same place again. I have to be sure that I am you know, taking care to get enough of that parasympathetic nervous system, that rest and digest. So that means that, you know, on Wednesday night, when I would normally drive my kid to soccer, I am going to make a decision to go to, um, you know, um, a beautiful you know, yoga nidra class, for example, or on Thursday night or a Sunday morning, <laughs> I'm going to go to my lean into life class with Angela, right? <laughs> and I'm going to keep up these spiritual practices that, you know, I've been learning there. Or um, I am going to go into work to my boss and say, I've really thought about this. And I'd like to work from home two days a week. And there's going to be a lot of that going on. There's going to be a lot of it going on. And there's also now, because of everything that's happened, there are certain foundations in place for companies that they've had to put into place because of the great pause that can potentially support people to have more flexible schedules that, that they're working from home. So companies can no longer say, well, we don't have this, the infrastructure for that. Well, actually you do. Mm. So those kinds of things, right? Mm. Um, so, you know, one of the most beautiful teachings that I received from 
um, the Blackfoot elder that I've been walking with for a long time is this teaching of rejection and seduction. And so I really want to honor the Blackfoot people when I pass this teaching. Um, but basically life is kind of like a knife. And on one side, the blade is rejection. And on the other side of the blade is seduction. And every day when we're, you know, living our lives, and for me, I say, when we're standing in our sovereignty, what are our choices? Are we going to go and make a choice when we go and say to our boss, I, I need to, I need, not I want, I need in order for me to be the most productive and the most healthy and to bring my A game to my job, I've learned that I need to work from home two days a week and we have a great infrastructure that we've set up during this period for me to be able to do that. I need that. So when you speak in that way for yourself, you know, with compassion and understanding, you're going to face rejection. So are we going to be courageous enough to do that, first of all, to face that rejection? Or are we going to be seduced back into the normal? Where the boss is like, well, no, you know, we really need you here and you're really important part of our blah, 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 blah. And you know in your gut that it's not good for you. But are you going to get seduced back into that fear of like, oh, well, I'll lose my job or there won't be enough money or so the rejection and the seduction. There have been people during this period of time where they've had long periods of time away from their lover, you know, their partner, and they've had time to reflect on, I don't know if I really want to continue in the same way with this person. So I'm going to need to set some boundaries. So do we have the courage to go and say, you know, in the time that, you know, we spent apart, I realized that I actually need more time to myself. And I know that that might disappoint you, but I have to be true to myself. Are we going to have the courage to face that rejection or are we going to get seduced back into the comfort zone? And that's really our work, you know, about um, really speaking our truth. So, yeah. Mm. Thank you. That is... Yeah, it's so, um, and, and just such a beautiful product of that digestion, right? That this just highlights for me how key that digestion piece is so that when we come out and move to integrate, that we can speak these things effectively. Exactly. You can't give voice to something that's not digested because mm -hmm. what has happened, um, what has happened is that, um, okay, I'm just trying to find a framework in order to explain this. Well, our body is the perfect teacher, <laughs> so you eat something and when you digest it fully, you keep the nutrients and you eliminate the waste. Mm. So if we hurry that process and we're not really clear on what the nutrients are, in other words, what's gonna be most healthy for us and our families and our communities, if we don't do that, then we just go back to having to try to digest things that are unhealthy for us. Mm. Yeah. And not being true to ourselves. And then if we're not being true to ourselves, then we get caught up in the whole world of distraction and numbing, right? Which is where we've been in our culture is just like, I don't want to look at this. I'll just numb. 
I'll numb myself, I'll distract myself. And we have all these addictions, you know. Yeah. Well, and I'm so happy that you mentioned the lean into life because I feel like this is a really, really beautiful tool. Like oftentimes just being able to do things in community, um, having a set schedule where, okay, yes, on Thursdays or on Sundays, I'm going to lean into life. Having this set opportunity that one has committed to can, can provide that stability, that foundation. Um, can you speak a little bit more to this offering and, and what, what you do there? Yeah, sure. Uh, lean into life is just a, it's just a 60 minutes a week. It's a zoom call. And I've just sort of put together, I think probably, um, you know, the four medicines that I, or the four paths that maybe I work with the most is, you know, um, earth medicine practice, which is rooted in, you know, what we would call shamanistic or spirit work, animistic processes. And maybe, you know, that seems to, people seem to want that the most because maybe that's just where I've been, been the longest, right? Um, but we also work with somatic practices for grounding and regulation of our nervous system. And then um, sound, sound medicine as well. So we've been working with um, voice and mantra mm -hmm. um, because that voice, like we were just talking about, you can't give voice to something, you know, but using our voice and using the vibration of our voice to uh, clear energy blocks in our body and to clear thought forms in our mind is very, very helpful to help heal the heart, to nourish ourselves. So uh, the sound medicine and also some Kundalini practices. So, um, you know, I've had this sort of fractured foot, so we haven't been able to be <laughs> jumping around too much, but a lot of um, mostly just um, adrenal support and heart opening and um yeah so you know depending on where we're going each week has a theme so we've worked with you know personal power where we worked with power animals we've worked with grounding um we've worked with um passion um all sorts of things and so when people come um when we when we open the meeting we go straight into uh, meditation. And then I usually do a sharing of a wisdom teaching. And then we'll do something like a shamanic journey together or a little um, Kundalini set, or we'll work with a mantra together, um, some guided visualization. Um, yeah, so that's all within that 60 minutes. And then I send some worksheets afterwards which re, uh, you know, reiterate what we shared about and they include some journal prompts. And they also include like um, a little nature ceremony. So what I'm really wanting to bring to people is this idea of home ritual. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, ritual is so important. Everything from like cleaning your teeth every day to, um, yeah, like I said, taking your morning coffee out on the balcony or whatever. So there are ideas for home ritual in that. And then we work with that theme for the week. And usually after the call, uh, I stay on the call for about 45 minutes afterwards for people for Q&A. So we just have an open discussion and um, 
we have a little break, you know, I say to everybody, okay, we're going to have a little three minute break and go and get a coffee and have a little bathroom break. And then we all come back and, but I leave everybody unmuted. So now people are really starting to talk to each other. I can hear people say, Oh, Hey Sue, how are you this week? Right. You know, someone's down in Australia and somebody's here. And, and so I can feel that community forming, mm. you know, and just starting to bring in some ideas of, um, also being of service to one another as well. So it's, um, yeah, it's been a really joyful offering to bring. And right now I'm doing it every week and I'll be doing it, offering it every week up until about August. Um, you know, and then after that, I'll go back to the original, which is every other week. So right now it's a, I've just, you know, done some pandemic pricing or whatever, because I want to make it accessible. And it is on a sliding scale as, as well. There are three different um, price points because, you know, everybody's in a different situation financially at this point. So I've just been really wanting to make that accessible to people. Um, it's also great, um, a great sort of little opportunity for some folks. I have quite a long wait list of people who are wanting to um, step into the quintessential revolution, which is um, a much more in-depth, in-person um, earth medicine and energy medicine um, apprenticeship program that I have that will be starting in November. So there's a few of those people who are, you know, in Lean Into Life who are like, they just want to stay in touch. They just want to stay connected. And um, they also want to dip their toe into and experience and see if it's right for them. Um, but yeah, it's been, I mean, for me personally, it's been a total joy just to be able to share because I'm being useful and I'm being of service. And um, yeah, so it's, it's good. And it is kind of like, I think it's very important. People do have this in their daytime. They're like, this is what I do on Thursday nights. I take care of my spirit. And I think that that is a very important thing. Mm. So, yeah. And just to confirm, is the Thursday and the Sunday offerings the same information, just two different times? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Two different time slots because there are people who live in different places. So, of course. Yeah. Of course. Mm -hmm. Oh, very beautiful. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to be involved. <laughs> it's so nice to hear you speak to it. Um, yeah, that's really, really beautiful. Um, is there anything else that you feel particularly called to share? Uh, anything that, any last little nuggets for the wonderful listeners? Yeah, um, I think just the last thing I want, I'd like to just touch on is that, you know, with this experience that we're going through, which is initiatory, what we knew how we knew life is gone. It's, it's died. And we have an opportunity here to get really clear on, you know, what we want moving forward. And I think it's very important during these times, there's so much media. And when, when we're in this place, we're all very vulnerable right now. And it's very, very, very important that people find find their truth, that people find what's right and best for them and their community and their family, you know, and um, to be very wise because um, <clears throat> there is some, 
I, you know, I just made a post the other day saying, be discerning about where you're getting your information and find out what's behind that information and who's behind that information. It's very, very important as pilgrims when you go through an initiatory experience, you know, part of the journey of initiatory experiences are um, things that come to scare us and things that come to seduce us. And can we hold on to our truth during that? So I've been cautioning people that, you know, in every fairy tale out there, <laughs> when somebody's vulnerable in walks, like little red riding hoods, walking through the woods, you know, with her, whatever in her basket for her grandma, you know, she's like this vulnerable little girl in the vulnerable and out comes the wolf. And you'll see this in fairy tales. Why? Because fairy tales are teachings from spirit. I mean, they've been messed around with and stuff, but these are teachings. There are always the teachings about the trickster in all of, you know, the spiritual stories. So people have to be very discerning because we are vulnerable as individuals. We're vulnerable as communities and we're vulnerable as a species right now. So I've been saying to people, keep your eyes open and your ears open be wise about your decisions. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, be really, really tuned into the reality of your nervous system. Because everybody is born with a different nervous system. You know, some people, I always say, some people are like an, a buffalo. They just like, or a big bull, right? They just go along and everything's cool and they're good to go, you know? okay, I get through this pandemic and I get back and I'm going to get, you know, I'm pivoting my business and now I'm going to use this as an opportunity. I'm going to carry on. I'm going to work even harder and I'm going to, everything's great. Good for them. That's just beautiful and wonderful. And those, there are other people who have nervous systems that are like a little bird, right? And very, very sensitive. And, um, you know, we get overwhelmed by things easily. We're picking up on all these energies of the collective fear. It's not just our own worries. We pick up on all the energy out there. I've just been impacted, for example, by the incredible quiet that I felt in my neighborhood a few months ago, and now it's amping back up and I can feel myself. I can feel that vibration and I don't like it, you know? So, so I think it's very important that everybody has enough humility to own their nervous system. And that if you're a sensitive nervous system, that you embrace that and that there's nothing wrong with you. You know, your um, sensitivity, people who have sensitivity and, and who are highly creative, we need these people in our world because quite often we're the innovators. We're the ones that are going to change things or we're the ones that are going to come up with different ideas. So I, I really encourage people to embrace where their nervous system is and as they're beginning their process of integration to honor the truth of their nervous system as they move forward. I so appreciate all of these amazing um, pieces. It's, um, it's beautiful to now take this away and digest it. <laughs> and and to to start to implement some of these things so i really really appreciate you bringing your wisdom into this space thank you so much for being here it's my pleasure tara and thank you so much for 
having me and just thank you for all your offering in your gift of communication and holding space for all of this. So thank you so much. Mm, thank you. I so appreciate the depth of the wisdom teachings that Angela provides in this episode. Please make sure that you go check her out both on Facebook and on Instagram. Links are in the show notes. Also, check out Lean Into Life. What an amazing opportunity to continue to learn from her and also to take care of your spirit on a weekly basis. And please let me know how are you enjoying these episodes? Do you have someone you want to hear in this space or have a particular question that you are looking to have answered? Please connect with me on social media. All of the links are again in the show notes. I am sending you so much love and I will see you next week. Namaste.